This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. Before introducing guests of today's episode, I would like to note just a few things. Physical Activity Researcher Podcast is committed to promoting equality and diversity in all its activities, including selection of guests. We have limited resources to scout all great researchers from different groups of people, so if you know someone who should be as a guest in the podcast, please ask this individual to contact us directly. As another thing, I would like to ask for your help. Being able to deliver this podcast to you, my audience, is based on how many people find, start to listen and follow this podcast. So I would really appreciate little help promoting this podcast. You can do this by subscribing, following the podcast on Twitter, retweeting tweets sometimes, and maybe even giving a good rating if you liked an episode. And now it is time for the actual show. I'm very excited about the guest of today's episode. She holds a PhD in health and medical psychology from Sheffield Shalom University. Previously, she has worked as physical activity lead at NHS Leeds and as senior exercise science officer at Sheffield Hallam University. Currently, she's working as principal researcher at University of Sydney. She directs the Sprinter research team working in partnership across the University of Sydney and the Office of Sport NSW government. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Dr. Lindsay Rees. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you very much for having me, Ollie. Now, it's fully, fully my pleasure. So, uh, would you like to tell about your academic background and how you ended up to Australia? Yeah, of course. Um, so, yes, yeah, so thank you very much for the for the introduction. Um, wow, going back to NHS Leeds days and Sheffield Hallam days is going back oh, more than 10 years now. Um, but, yeah, so I started um, back in the, the north of England uh, studying sport and exercise science at Sheffield Hallam, uh, where I then went on to do a master's in physical activity and public health. Um, but I guess my academic journey really started when um, I actually started working at Sheffield Hallam. So before that, my roles were very much delivering physical activity uh, sessions and activities with overweight and obese patients um, coming into NHS clinics. And quite quickly, I realized that it was always the policy and applied space that I wanted to work in. Um, and I had the, the luxury of meeting some fantastic people at Sheffield Hallam that really were focused on that application of research into practice. And that's why I hence took on my role um, at Sheffield Hallam, working in physical activity and the treatment and management of chronic disease. Um, and there I stayed there for quite more than 10 years, um, worked with an amazing team. And then I was lucky enough uh, about three years ago now to um, take up the role across Sydney Uni and uh, the New South Wales government, leading a team focused on sport policy and physical activity. So it's been quite a mixed bag. Uh, I've had mixed experience working in policy practice um, and academia. 
Um, and I've been very fortunate to work with some amazing people who I frequently keep in touch with now. Um, and I guess the theme of my work, though, has always been around trying to get more people active, um, trying to get people who traditionally maybe aren't um, as active as they could be uh, and support them to access different opportunities, um, whether that's coming through organized sport or community physical activity. So no matter what role I've kind of been in, it's always around um generating the evidence and kind of working with the excellent scientists to work on you know what works and what doesn't work to help people get active but then also critically for me it's about how we translate that into policy and practice and I guess that's the that's the stuff that I find really juicy and that was what attracted me as well as the sunshine um that's what attracted me to the the really unique role that I have here in Sydney now yeah, so it, it sounds interesting, your role as academic director for a Sprinter program. Could you tell more about how is the work between working with uh, policymakers and, and academics? It's it's definitely an interesting one, um, and it's definitely been a um, a bit of a roller coaster for the first couple of years I've been here. Not just in learning, you know, the Australian systems, but um, navigating some of the politics as well. Um, and so, Sprinter is a an acronym um, for the Sports uh, and Physical Activity Intervention Research Group, which is quite a mouthful, hence why it's called Sprinter. Um, and it's really unique. It's essentially a research partnership with state government and Sydney Uni. And the whole idea was that it was a, a partnership where academics could translate the the evidence and the research to help policymakers make decisions uh, in New South Wales and across Australia. But it was also around how we can increase capability and capacity within policymakers and those that are influencing decisions in the sport and physical activity sector around how we get more people active. And it was quite an exciting time to take on the role because a couple of years ago, uh, federally, there was a national strategy um, from Sport Australia that started to talk about sports role in the broader physical activity agenda, which started to then open up conversations around um, the role that organised sport had in you know, helping more people move. Um, and it was an exciting time to embark on this research partnership because it was actually working directly with the sectors and, and physical activity providers to, to help them understand what role they had in helping people become more active and not just focus on people who traditionally would access access sport so the partnership is it was it started three years ago um we've secured it for another three years so it'll be a six-year partnership i actually when i started the role was quite keen that if it was going to be a partnership rather than just you know commissioned research which traditionally is, is often the case when we work with policymakers i actually wanted to base myself in the offices so i spend a couple of days a week um with the office of sport and the government team and what that enabled me to do was actually have those ad hoc conversations um you know rather than just being the crazy academic that would float in a couple of days and, and not really understand what what role they had and how i could help them and i think that really was one of the um I guess golden nuggets, I think, in trying to get the partnership up and running was actually seeing how I could help policymakers day to day in the decisions they were making or the meetings they were having. And that really helped build trust um, in the team as well. Um, and they could start to see how they could use the evidence to, you know, to make their job a little bit easier. Um, and now going into our fourth year, um, we really started to see some of the impact both in the policy world and in the community of having the partnership there, which which is really great. Mm. It's it's quite interesting that you actually spent like two days a week in in there. 
their offices. Uh, what what have you learned there, and what do researchers don't really understand about policymaking and their work, in your opinion? Oh, that's a, that's a t- that's a tough but um, interesting question. I think I mean they're, they're both very fascinating industries, um, and those listeners who you know worked in academia and those that have been in policy will recognise and appreciate um, some of the comedy of um, working in each sector. But I think one of the challenges that policymakers have is is the speeds I think in which they work. It's either everything you know happens in a flash or it takes a while. So I think one of the challenges that they have is knowing sometimes how to approach academics, um, how to access evidence, um, but then also just and once they've accessed it, it's then how they can use it to help them in their role or how they actually translate it. Um, I think sometimes that's a bit of a call to action for academics as well to make sure that we're providing evidence in a way that's quick and easy to understand, that's in a format that's uh, readily available, that isn't in a paid journal or isn't in a 500-page document that no one's got time to read. Um, So there's a bit about how we communicate the research findings. I think there's a little bit about um, understanding the political context in which things are happening, uh, which is also a challenge. Um, And I think one of the things I've learned from you know, being in different meetings and um, sat around the table where decisions are happening, it's not always... um, the big long pieces of evidence that are actually translated it's the smaller pieces and it's the kind of trickle effect that sometimes I feel like I keep saying the same thing but actually it's just saying the similar message but in different ways and and trying to communicate that across and I think it's not an easy role um there's always different agendas and politics at play um and I and I don't think either side is right or wrong I think it's just understanding that they're they're slightly different worlds operate in different time frames um but I think taking time to understand the world in which each kind of works in has been really um fascinating for me i've definitely learned a lot um and definitely made lots of connections and i think one of the i guess one of the success stories i think of sprinter is i guess the trust whenever you're building new relationships it takes time to work with people build up those networks and actually have faith and trust that you'll deliver what you say you'll deliver um and think for me when I've genuinely helped somebody in their role that's where they start to realize and and take time to listen and engage but that does take time I have to say but it's been an exciting journey and I've absolutely loved it and for me personally it's where I I think I thrive and it's something I love to do it's always um the challenge of trying to um problem solve that's something I love um, and I think that's what's exciting where you have the scientists that, that kind of work in academia to generate the evidence and then you have those other individuals like myself that kind of then work to translate that and I think they're all different aspects to um, tackling the problem. Mm. So you mentioned that the the information the knowledge needs to be in a quick format that they can easily understand and go through it quickly it shouldn't be a scientific publication it shouldn't be a book what kind of take take home messages you could give about the reports and like how should researchers do this this quick format or do we some person in between to doing this or should it be the role of kind of the pure researchers Do you know what that's that's a really interesting that's a really interesting question because I do think that the it's a very unique um, and skill of its own. It's almost um, it's it's almost an art, isn't it? Trying to communicate findings and that's an interesting question about whether that's a that's a, a skill and a role in itself. Um, I think 
One of the things that we have to move away from is thinking that there's one way to absorb everything. Um, so it's not that I, I don't think that the peer review publications, sh- you know, should be used 100%. There's a role for textbooks, there's a role for chapters, there's, you know, roles for peer reviewed journals. You, we need the science and the evidence in that complex, um, complete and comprehensive way. But then I also think that needs to be complemented with other forms of communication, whether that's using social media platforms, whether that's using blogs and short posts, whether that's using uh, workshops and seminars, because there's not one size that fits all. There's not one way to communicate one finding to somebody. So, you know, the policy group that I work with like to receive information in one way, but that doesn't say that all policymakers are going to do that. So I don't think there's a, a broad brush, but... I definitely think that um, there's different. We need to make sure that we're providing information in ways that are easy, easily available and readily there. And I think a few things that that we've done is whenever we publish a uh, peer-reviewed journal article, for example, I always send um, my policy colleagues a couple of bullet points of just the key stories. And when I share those key stories, I focus on the impact and what they can do differently. So I don't focus on the methods. I focus on this is what we found and this is what's important for you and your role. So I always kind of shift it to the what if. Um, We've done some infographics instead of having scientific graphs. We've done um, little blog posts. We've done um, little images online. And again, that's where I've drawn in expertise from government marketing teams and communications teams because I think you're right. I think I'm not a marketing communications expert. So sometimes bringing those into the conversation has been really helpful. Um, And I think that's something that we've found through some of our work as well is how we communicate the research to the community, especially if it's having a policy focus. We need to make sure that it's actually reaching communities that are either accessing the programs that we're talking about. And again, that's where social media can have such a role. Um, But completely agree that I think there's an emerging field of people who are um, who've got the skills, um, you know, to market and communicate our research. And I think that's that's an emerging area for sure. Mm. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian, a research device that has been shown to be valid in tracking sitting, standing, physical activity and energy expenditure. Furthermore, Fibian has been shown to be valid categorizing physical activity into light, moderate and vigorous intensity. In addition to scientific accuracy, Fibian provides automatically produced and easy-to-understand reports for research participants. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. And, and you said that you, you communicate right away when you have the peer-reviewed paper. When do you think is the right time to communicate? You know, sometimes when we start to examine some some phenomenon in the beginning it's kind of controversial findings the small studies should we wait for the states of meta-analysis and be kind of sure that we we know which way the things are actually before we communicate not to confuse or do you think that it's the faster the better i guess that i guess um not to sound like a typical academic but i think it depends on the nature of the research and i think it depends on the topic area um And I think that so it would have to be, you know, a judgment call based on the specific research. I think the the work that, you know, that, that my team generally do is um, physical activity focused, is very public health. It's very um, community driven. So for me, a lot of the work that we do is either co-designed by policymakers at the start or um, 
its evaluations of community programs, etc. So based on that type of, of work, um, everyone's kind of involved from the start. So I drip feed the findings as we go. That said, I do think um, a lot of the time we have to do some education around interpreting the findings with caution. So if we, as anyone that works um, with policymakers will know that the ministers or um, everyone loves a good news story. And uh, as soon as we start evaluating a programme, everybody wants to know, you know, how's it going? And if we're not careful, um, sometimes we can get quite excited and um I had a project early on when I arrived um, where we shared something quite early and before I knew it ended up in the paper. And um, you you had that slight panic going, oh, these are early interim findings. And obviously when you're talking to a media story, they don't kind of pay attention to that. So I think you do have to be mindful of the caveats with the research. Um, And that for me is part of the education process around um, involving other stakeholders in the research from the start, I think is key, especially when we're wanting to be collaborative and and co-design with them. but I think it's, yeah, it's a tricky one. It depends on the nature. I don't feel like I've answered your question, but I think it, it depends on the nature of the work. For me, as much as you can involve the stakeholders throughout, the better. Um, I like to always share stories and outcomes when they're useful. Because for me, the purpose of being the research is to inform practice, is to inform policy. So if I sat on the research until it was the perfect day, then that research you know, might miss your window of opportunity. So it's um it's a tricky one to balance and it's a fine art, I'd say. Mm, yeah, I think it makes sense. You said that you are kind of doing uh, very practical studies that you have actually co-designed. So I think then it's it's good to inform as as soon as you know how the results are. But of course, if we are examining something new, it's probably quite quite different. Uh, so how how is your how is your daily work? How how many percent is is pure research? How much is it to making this kind of quick format communication? How much much is it uh, meeting with the policymakers? I, I don't know about this kind of role, so it's interesting to hear how how is the work actually. Mm. So um, yeah, no no day is ever the same. Um, I'm quite lucky in my role that um, I frequently meet with different stakeholders whether it's um sporting codes or fiscal activity providers or other academics or policymakers. so me personally my diary is always hectic with meetings and i'm always seen dashing around the city um but generally speaking the way that we organize the team is the partnership has um kind of like an 80% to 20% split. So 80% of the team's work plan each year is um, set by kind of government priorities um, and 20% is protected for academic research, whether that's um, conducting research or writing papers, attending conferences, etc. So that kind of gives you a flavour in terms of how we how we set up the partnership. And for me, that again, really talked to this idea of partnership rather than it all being commissioned research. Um in terms of the team itself, um, we're now lucky that the team's expanded to there's five of us that work um, within Sprinter. Uh, and then we have some um, government ambassadors. And I would say that the, the wider network of Sprinter, we're very fortunate to have a much a wider um, ring of support now. Um, but generally speaking, most of the staff are, we've got a PhD student, for example, who um, is leading an evaluation of uh, an active kids voucher program. And then I have um, a couple of other research assistants that kind of lead 
some of our applied sporting work that we have with Sport Australia and, and Parkrun, just to name a couple of examples. Um, so it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, a lot of it is traditional research activities. Um, a lot of it is data analysis. Um, I'm extremely fortunate to have a biostatistician in my team who has been um, extremely helpful analysing some of the big population data sets that we have. So I guess the day-to-day work predominantly for the team is very academic, um, whereas it's very much, I guess, my role to manage different stakeholders um, and manage the translation of that evidence into into practice. Mm. And and how, how do you see it? Like quite often it seems kind of clear that, for example, that physical activity, it's very beneficial for all people, basically, and that behavior change is difficult. We need to have holistic programs to affect. What are the surprising things that you have found in your in your studies that has really kind of been made the difference that it's not just clear that we should promote physical activity and it's a little bit challenging with different people? What are these kind of findings you have you have noticed? Oh, um I'll I'll try my best to answer the question. That's, that's quite a big question. Um, I mean, I think a lot of the, based on the partnerships that we have with the sports sector, a lot of our um, research at the moment is is understanding the the contribution that organised um, and structured physical activity in sport can play to uh, increasing population physical activity. So what that means is a lot of our work is understanding um, the outcomes, including physical health, emotional well-being, community um, connectedness, those kind of outcomes with um, participating through structured means. So to give you some examples of that, we've worked directly with sporting codes to understand participation trends, um, to work with them to understand you know, why the traditional drop-off of adolescents in organised sport. Uh, we've worked with community organisations to understand what role they play. Um, so I guess there's some interesting findings there around breaking some of the myths about um, individuals who access sport. Uh, we still have the traditional ingrained trend that adolescents frequently drop out of sport. Uh, so we get to about the ages of 14 and, and we see teenagers dropping out of organized sport. But like, for example, we've seen a real increase in the number of older people accessing sporting opportunities. That has come slightly from political agendas, recognizing the value that sport brings um, and also the sectors being innovative in offers that they Uh, deliver, for example, modifying walking football, um, looking at walking netball, so you know, slowing down the game to make it more appropriate. So I think there's some interesting nuances there around um, innovation in the sport and physical activity sector. But I guess a lot of our work's really focused on how we get more people active. Um, and again, that's always focusing on equity. Um, that plays a huge theme throughout our work. Um, so working with disadvantaged communities, working with um, culturally, and, culturally and linguistically diverse, trying to support um, them to access different um, activities. Something I've learned since being in Australia is the Indigenous story. Um, we have uh, Indigenous populations have a real cultural uh, link to sport. Um, and that's been a fascinating one to explore since I've been here. So I guess the nature I work is very much, um, it varies depending on Um, you know, the stakeholders are working with. But for me, it's been fascinating to explore the role that sport has. And I think off the back of the Global Action Plan for Physical Activity, more and more we're starting to see um, the importance of engaging all sectors. Um, so we're not just working with, you know, just sport. It's not just a health problem um, and how we can join together. And 
that's been quite fascinating to understand how sport and transport can come together, for example. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure we found anything that's specifically unique to Australia or that's kind of very different, but I guess it's just trying to understand a bit more the role that different sectors can play and they can play together um, if we're trying to get more people active. Mm. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behaviour change in sedentary behaviour and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian. From researchers to researchers. And, and when you were talking, you were talking mainly with the word sports and not as much as exercise. Uh, how do you see the activating uh, normal working age people, activating elderly people? Do you think it's best to activate them through sport kind of activities or kind of exercise type of activities? Yeah, so exercise is, so when we come to language, I think language is really important. And I think, um, again, I've seen a shift just from moving from England to Australia. There's a bit real shift in the language that we use. Exercise um, here in Australia, I would say it is used, um, but not maybe as much. Um, I, I don't quote me on that, but my personal opinion would be that I don't kind of hear exercise as much. We generally hear kind of recreation or fitness or, um, so I think, I think what you're alluding to there is I think different language, people use different language to to talk about different activities. I think it shows that not everybody chooses to be active in the same way um, and not everybody chooses to be active in the same way at different points in their life. Um, so just because someone played sport when they're a teenager doesn't mean that they're anywhere they're going to play sport when they go when they're at work is play sport. So I think we change over time. We all change. We all change what we enjoy doing, and that's kind of that's part of why it's so great to have so many opportunities there. I think for me, it's about understanding if somebody chooses to be active in that way, how do we support them to do that? Um, yes, we have a whole piece of work around how we support people to. Um, enter physical activity in the first place as we know too many people um aren't able to be active so it's about working with environments to support more people to be active but i think when you're talking about um older people whether it's and anyone throughout the age groups it's just making sure that there are all the opportunities available for them to access if that's what they wish there's not one size fits all um and i think some of our work where we've worked directly with providers is around creating that environment that people pe- people feel able to so for example um working with the sporting club it's not just seen as something that young people can do um no matter what your age you can go into a sporting club you can go into a crossfit you can go into a gym um and i think that for me is the fascinating thing that everybody should feel able and supported to access any activity that they want um i don't think there's one set rule for doing it i think there are trends we see different trends in accessing different types of activities at different stages um and i'm sure post this covid phase that change will you know will continue um But yeah, I personally kind of use structured physical activities is a nice term to use. Um, 
just based on the political profile. So often we have kind of sport, all the sectors kind of isolated where what we're after is everybody working together. Um, and some sectors focus on different parts of the physical activity spectrum. So I guess a lot of our work is positioned in the structured physical activity and sports space, which means that we don't quite focus so much on household activities and activities of daily living. It's much more around how we can work with providers who deliver uh, physical activity or work with parks to facilitate activity. Um, we work with them a lot more to, to support people to be active. Um, again, probably not answered your question, but um, there's no kind of hard and fast rule to any of this. It's There's no set there's no set term, there's no set language um, for me. It's just about supporting everybody to be active in a way that they choose to be. Mm, no, I, I, I think you, you answered my question and I, I think I agree <laughs> with you that it's important what language we, we do use. And and if you look the the how the exercise word is defined, it's that you do some physical activity to improve your fitness. So it's kind of end means that you you just do it for example you you cycle an ergometer in the gym to improve your fitness while for me doing sports is kind of that you you do the game you have fun you you social you enjoy and the fitness is kind of a side side result that you concentrate on something else and you get great benefits and i think it makes a big difference because exercise i think is quite often boring because you're just trying to achieve better fitness and and running on a treadmill it's it feels like a long time but if you're playing football with your friends it doesn't feel like that one hour goes really fast so how how do you see this in aspect like how do you how do you use the language you said structured pa sports exercise how do you see the difference between different words yeah, it's a tricky one because using your um, examples there, some people would say that actually um, running on a treadmill to them feels very comfortable. They they can manage that situation very well. They would actually feel, and in comparison to you, they'd feel quite anxious about going to a sport or playing a game with other people where they would feel very worried about, or, you know, could they keep up or do they have the right skills? So I think your example there touches quite nicely that everybody is everyone's different and everyone has different memories and experiences of doing different types of activities um and for some people team sports and and sport is definitely going to always be the way that they're motivated and they love playing with their friends and and teammates whereas to other people the individual pursuits that focus on their own individual uh, health and well-being is kind of what motivates them and, and gives them the space and the time so i think for me as long as we're inclusive in our language to make sure that we do in, that everybody feels included and that no matter what we do there is something there for everybody which is very challenging to do but I think we have to be careful not to pigeonhole people um, not to use language that's um, I guess discriminatory or um, that discriminates against um, individual groups for, for example there's a sporting code here who started to move away from just saying um, just looking at uh, focusing on movement on two feet because they realize now that people roll they um they move in different ways so i think it's i don't think there's a set rule with language i just think it's trying to be as inclusive as we can um and i think it's it's trying to i guess create opportunities that create opportunities there where people feel that appeal to them because for example like some weeks you feel very motivated to exercise because you 
want to feel healthier you want to feel fitter you want to whereas other weeks you do it because you just need some fresh air and, and you're very stressed after a busy day at work so I think there's different motivations for people um, people do it for different reasons um, we don't always know what the true reasons are um, so I think as long for me I don't really have a, a set answer in terms of the language we should use I just think we need to make sure that we are as inclusive as we can that we use language that talks to communities um, that we want to engage. And for me, if, if I ever am unsure, I ask the communities that we're trying to reach. So often I think we put our own language on what people want to hear. When actually, why don't we just ask the, the community we're trying to reach, why don't we just ask them what they would like to call it? What do, what language do they use? Um, and if we can put it in their terms and they're more likely to play. Mm, I Yeah, I, I like it that you, you need need different words for different people and it's good good idea to ask from them and if i go a little bit uh back uh you you mentioned about walking football and kind of slowing down the game what's what's your take on that basically now we have kind of professional sport with the rules and we have kind of like normal people try to go with the same rules should be there kind of invention on of different Uh, recreational sporting activities that we don't even try to adapt the the professional sport games but we would actually develop other ones that would be maybe more fun maybe more uh, beneficial for certain certain groups of people i think if anyone wants to create a new sport i think there's definitely a niche there i think um I think the the modification, I guess, of, of sport has come from um, the sports sector really trying to engage and reach new audiences. Um, and the um, phenomenon of walking football was, has been phenomenal. Um, it's it's really has engaged new new audiences back into the game that they hadn't seen before, which is just fantastic. Um, and I think for me that taps into this, um, you know, re-engaging people with the teammates, with friends, Um, for some, you know, it's they're delivered with their sporting clubs who have a long history of their support. And I think that modification of sport has been fantastic. But that, again, will only reach certain pockets of communities. I think um, what's normally what's quite appealing through you know, these organized games is fun and, and the social aspect. And I think that's something that we're seeing more and more um we're seeing that we need to do that more and more. We need to focus more on the fun and enjoyable aspects because every one of us, irrespective of what we're doing, we're more likely to keep doing something if we enjoy it and we have fun. Um, so any game, any activity, anything that we do or play or anything that anything like that at all, if, we, if we're not having fun, then we're not going to carry on. Um, so for me, it could be... It, it, it's irrespective really of what game it is or how what the rules are or um, really the kind of... Um, which game is modified it's all about putting fun and enjoyment at the heart of of all activities because that's what, what will help us to continue to do it but i think if any mm. listeners have got um, an exciting idea for a new game i think that'd be really cool <laughs> yeah yeah i i agree with you this podcast is sponsored by fibian my name is uh, Tarja Jöborg i'm associate professor at Oslo Metropolitan University. Currently, I'm using Phibion in a project where we investigate activities of daily life in people with a lower limb amputation. My impression is that Phibion is easy to implement in this project. It's easy to use and it's also simple to upload and 
analyze the data. And you have been in the group creating the Getting Australia Active 3 guide. Could you could you tell more about this guide? Yeah, so this is this is hot off the press. Um, so this is a um, uh, this is a new. So this was led. So this, it's called Getting Australia Active uh, Three, um, and uh, it's essentially a guide for policymakers. So it's a modern take on a textbook. Uh, it's widely available. Uh, it's free to access. Um, it is apparent 273 pages long, um, but there is a short blurb for, for easy access. Um, and there is some fun graphics too. So I'll make sure that following this podcast, there's a link there. But um, essentially, the um, Getting Australia Active is a, a guide for um, policymakers to implement a whole of systems approach for physical activity. So it has a strong Australia focus, um, but it's, I'm very pleased that the authorship team does have some international colleagues there too. Um, and it's all around how we um, need to put emphasis on that there is no single solution for getting people physically active. And um, throughout the different chapters that focuses on different parts of policy main domains, um, sorry, um, it's all about how each sector can work together to um, try and encourage more people to be physically active. So it's around increasing physical activity at the population level. It emphasizes it emphasizes that there's no single solution to being physically active. Um, and what it does is focus on cross-government and multi-sectorial partnerships um, and how they're needed if we're gonna coordinate a whole of systems approach. It leads nicely from the, the release of the Global Action Plan for Physical Activity and it's essentially trying to um, support Australia's commitment to translating that plan into action. Um, so it, the idea is that it's um, a guide for, it's, it's mainly for policymakers, but it's academics and anyone really that's interested in how to do it. Um, it's there to be used. It's there to be um, discussed, translated. Um, so I encourage everyone to, to pick it up and use it. Um and it was led by um, an Australian team here with Professor Adrian Bowman and William Bellew and um, other colleagues at Sydney Uni, Ben Smith and Tracy. So it's a phenomenal resource. It is, it's lengthy, but it's it's comprehensive and detailed. So if anyone's looking at how to implement a whole systems approach, which is the new buzzword of our time, um, then I would really encourage you to have a little look at it. Mm. So uh, systems approach is the new password. Uh, could you could you explain <laughs> for people who have never even heard the term that what is it essentially? Yeah, so um, I kind of make the joke that it's the new buzzword because um, it's it is the new phrase that's used, but it's it's essentially. Um, it's not new. We all know that there's no single way to getting somebody active. Um, and what the whole systems approach recognizes is that it's um, the sum is big, is great in the, in the whole of its parts. So it's all around everybody working together. It's around um, if you influence one part of the system, then it's going to have an impact somewhere else. Um, it talks about having positive and negative influences within a system. And it essentially talks that everything is interconnected. Um, everything impacts each other. Um, it's a it's a dynamic system. Um, things aren't linear, um, and I think a lot of the time in physical activity, historically, we have um, focused on interventions that recruit a X number of people. We take them through a physical activity intervention that's very linear. Um, so they start with X, we measure different solutions, and then we look at Y. Um, and what we're starting to realise is that 
those people are living, working, playing amongst a whole myriad of different factors. Um, and actually, if we're going to look at how we in, increase their physical activity, then we need to take all of those different factors into account. And that's essentially what whole systems means. So the theory behind it is emerging and you know, other disciplines have used this for many years. Um, we saw the big guidance globally led by Fiona Ball around the Global Action Plan, which talks really nicely to um, the whole systems approach. And for me, this the excitement of being involved with this particular resource was how we actually translate it and help policymakers and people on the ground to translate it. Um, and that was why I was excited to be a part of this team. Um, as identified in the... Um, the global action plan there are different different domains and what we've done is focused on each of the seven best buys so for those of us familiar with how if we're going to increase physical activity what you know who needs to be around the table we've seen that seven best buys where you see that we need to have health transport planning sport etc um, and what we've done through this document is actually pull out each of those sector domains um, and start to look at what that role is and what the recommendations are um, and what the best practice evidence we have to hand and how that can be can be used. So as you'll hear from me talking, it's an extremely comprehensive resource. Um, it is hot off the press and it was only released a few days ago. Um, and it's a really nice, it's a summary of evidence. So it's it's got a good introduction. It's got a, a good summary of evidence. It's got some practical examples for policymakers in different sectors. Um, it's, a, it's a nice... Um, it's not short, but it's um, if you need a go-to guide on you know what the latest evidence is, uh, who needs to be around the table, and what you can do, then I would highly recommend getting Australia Active Three. Mm, all right, so we will have the link in the podcast description, so anyone interested, you should check. And you said that it's quite Australia specific. What do you see as the special characteristics in Australia compared to some other parts of the world, maybe maybe Europe and and US? Yeah, so I say that it's very um, there's a strong focus on Australia, um, and the authorship team is predominantly uh, based in Australia. But like I say, there are, there is international collaborators on there, so the. The findings 100% can be translated into other areas. It just maybe needs a little bit more nuancing. I guess the evidence um, is 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 it is predominantly Australian, but there are there are definite definite translatable um, findings. So I wouldn't want to put anyone off. I think what's unique with Australia, um, there's a couple of things that come to mind. Um, that is probably a challenging question. I think it's. Um, no single every the idea of this whole systems is that everybody's operating within a different environment in a different context um in australia there's a very different political system for example and i think one of the biggest learnings i've had moving from england to australia is this federated political model um each state and territory has a government and then we feed up to the federal system and that federated structure really influences how you're going to to write policy how you're going to impact how you're going to influence um, the application of that policy and how you then measure it. So, for me, so even within that context, that itself brings um, a whole range of different factors that need to be taken into account. Um, we've got challenges with our different communities of, of need. Um, in Australia, you have high populations of uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. You have Indigenous populations. Um, so we have, and we have geography, we have regional and remote communities. Whereas in England, I didn't really talk about regional remote communities in quite the same way. So every, I think every country has its own 
priorities. It has its own political and um, environmental and individual focuses. So I guess the purpose of this document is, yes, while it's... um, it is strongly focused on Australia. There's a lot of evidence that can be translated and adapted into your own environment. Um, a whole systems approach 100% takes that into account. Um, and I know many countries are doing that. Um, so I think it, it's still heavily relevant to your countries. But for my personal learning, I would say the federated political system definitely has probably one of the biggest influences in physical activity and sport here. Um, and that's has been a key learning for me. Mm. And and the federated political model, do you see it as a as an advantage, disadvantage, or just just the difference? I think I think everything has its um, advantages and disadvantages. Um, I think it definitely makes decision making challenging. Um, I'm talking from a, a sport perspective. You have um, sporting organizations who operate with state sporting codes who, who feed up into to national um, sporting codes. So that in itself brings different layers of um, decision-making and bureaucracy. Um, whether it's, it's positive or negative, I think that's a difficult one to say. Um, I think there's probably benefits and, and negatives and everything. But, um, yeah, I, I that's, that's a tricky question to answer, that one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I understand. So uh, <laughs> we we have now discussed the the sprinter program, the getting Australia active. Is there something you would like to add to this topic, or is there some other topics you would like to bring into into discussion? Well, I don't think so. I think we've covered we've covered quite a lot, haven't we? Um, I think it's. Uh, I think everyone that's listening at this particular time is going to be um, in quite a unique position with um, the the recovery from COVID, which is very different in different countries. Um, I think something that we're currently grappling with is um, Australia is very fortunate that we're starting to relax some of our um, COVID um, restrictions. And uh, we're now in a fascinating time where we're understanding how we recommence the delivery of community sport and physical activity at a very unique time. Um, I'm sure everyone listening has had the different experiences of of trying to keep active or trying to support and encourage other people to be active during COVID. Um, now it's how we can work with uh, the providers and the government to actually um focus on that recovery phase so I think that's an interesting thing that I'm currently grappling with so I'll be very interested uh, to hear from um, different listeners if they've got any on a, if they want to share anything that they're doing um, in their different phases um, but yeah understanding the kind of physical activity and how sport rec- recovers after this very challenging time is um, yeah is one that we will be focusing on in the, in the next few weeks and months and probably years ahead to be honest yeah it is it is definitely a special situation now for for some time so we we closing our our time limit so we should start start wrapping up what would be your final remarks for these very very interesting discussions well i think firstly thank you so much for inviting me to come on i always um i always feel very um privileged to be invited to come on to these podcasts so thank you very much um I think it's it's been a um a thought provoking discussion. Whenever I do these, I never quite know what's going to come out of my mouth when I start talking. Um, but it's been fascinating to to reflect on um my experiences of working with Sprinter for the last few years, 
Um, I've definitely personally learned a lot. Um, and I would encourage everybody that whether an academic or a policymaker to reach out to each other, um, because I think the more that we can work together, um, the more that we can help support people to be physically active and the more we can keep generating the, the evidence and, and critically translate that evidence into, into policy and practice, um, which collectively will then help more people move, um, which I'm sure most people listen to this podcast knowing that kind of some of the audience will be um, converted, I'm sure, and, and excited to, to kind of keep moving. But we still need to, to keep pushing the messages that um, being active is important for our, for our physical, mental health um, and our well-being and, and all sorts. So I think for me, it's reach out to your friends and colleagues in different sectors and keep having conversations about how we can encourage people to move um, and keep keep preaching what we're um, keep practicing what we're preaching, I should say. Um, it's important that we ourselves keep moving as well. So um, I think that would be my my kind of final summing up. Yeah, I, I I agree what you said. So it was it was an honor to have you, Lindsay, in the podcast, and I had brilliant time talking with you. It was very interesting discussions. So thank you for taking the time for this podcast. Thank you very much. I'm going to go and get a fresh cup of tea. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Get scientific validation and learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. The Physical Activity Researcher podcast has created an activity tracker purchase guide for researchers. Get your free copy from the link in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to the Physical Activity Researcher podcast.